let's, let's kind of get into this message. And we've been doing a little series about gifted God's tools for building his kingdom. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of, um, you know, I mean, just you can run the spectrum when it comes to the whole thing of, of gifts and abilities and spiritual gifts. Uh, some people are like, oh, man, I don't even want you to bring that up because I've had some things happen in my past growing up in church that just like, oh, boy, uh, you know. Uh, and you know what? And we got to deal with some of that, and it will be fun, okay? But what I want to do is really let the Bible speak, okay? But we're going to look at a little bit more of this, and what we got to talk about today is still foundational. It's still foundational for all of this to work the way God wants it to work because too often we're doing things our own way and not his way. Um, but we just come through a busy time of year. We're hoping things kind of get calmed down, right? Uh, Christmas and all of that. And so, you know, about now, some of us are trying to figure out. I mean, some of us are still excited about some of the things that we got for Christmas. And most of us are probably trying to figure out what to do with some things that you received that people felt obligated to give you that you really don't have any use for, right? Can you say uh, what to do, what to do, you know, uh, regifting? Hey, that's better than letting it just set, right? Huh? You know, that's recycling. That's, that's, you know. So what we want to talk about today is the best kind of regifting, okay? And what I want to do is I'm going to, a key verse right here is in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And so I want you to find it. Uh, get your Bible open. Um, you know, I want you to see it, have it open before you. Be ready to write down a few thoughts and notes to meditate on later. If you're using an app, power that dude up. Get it out there. Get it where you can look at this. Just, you know, block all the pop-ups so you don't get discouraged. I'm distracting enough as it is, right? I don't want, you know, there to be something else. Our key verse is verse 7 where he says the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. But I want to back up and start in verse 1. He's he's addressing this church in Corinth, and he's also addressing us. But to understand it, we need to understand a little bit about the time and the situation and the context uh, which it was originally written. That makes it make sense, and that's what you do when you're interpreting anything, not just the Bible, okay? Same rules apply. Did you know that? That interpreting Scripture, the same rules apply in, of, in all of literature of how you take something that was written, especially something written a long ago in another language, in another culture, in another land, and you take what is written and you, and, and you uh, translate it and you uh, understand what were they saying and what did they mean by what they said. It's the same rules that apply, okay? And um, these are the things that if you study, it's the study, you want to hear it, of, of hermeneutics and exegesis, okay? There's just some good words for you today, right? Don't ask me to explain them, I just, but, I'll just say them. But anyway, so he's writing to the Corinthians, look at verse 1, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols. However... I mean, they were dumb, not just as ignorant, but they mute. They, 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 you, were wor- you were worshiping objects, you know, that, that couldn't talk to you, you know. So basically when you worship something that can't talk to you, you just make up what you want them to say. Uh, man-made religion. Okay, you got it. You got it. Dumb idols. We use the word dumb differently. It's mute uh, is what it means. However, he says, however you were led. You were just led all over by this, this type of thing. Therefore, I, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say truly, really, that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, 
but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of the whole group, for the common good, for the profit of all, of everybody. Most of us have uh, thought about this kind of thing, and uh, we just kind of like, yeah, um, I know God wants to use my life, but I'm not sure quite what it is. Uh, Or I'm not really open to God to use me any old way. I kind of have my own idea of what I want to do. But uh, today I want to talk about how God gives us the gifts And these gifts are always for the purpose of re-gifting. It's okay. You can re-gift. In fact, if you don't, you messed up already. You've missed the whole point. God's the one who created giving, right? I mean, God is the creator of all idea of giving sacrificially to others. He loved us so much. He gave us the ultimate gift of all. He gave us his son, his one-of-a-kind son. He never gives you anything just to be given you like we do, like because I feel obligated, you know, I'm just supposed to do this. He does it for purpose. So this is kind of bad grammar, but God never gives you anything for no purpose. That means he always, when he gives you something, it has a purpose. And he gave us the gift of grace. Now, understand this. All right, just get this down. That the gift of grace is given by God. That's God giving us something that we don't deserve. Out of his own resources, his own riches, giving us something that we don't deserve. You remember, mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. We do deserve to be separated from him. We do deserve to be punished uh, forever. But uh, So mercy and grace kind of are linked together. The gift of grace is given by God for your benefit and your salvation. So you enter into a relationship with him. The gift of grace is a gift given as his son. He gave Christ to die on the cross and be resurrected to give you new life, forgiveness, relationship with him, all of that. Spiritual gifts given by the Holy Spirit are given to you by God out of his grace. And the literal word for gifts here in, what was that, verse 4 is charismata, which is a compound word that the word charis is the word grace. Grace gift. All of it comes from his grace. That's what that means. All gifts, all spiritual gifts are given out of God's grace, given to you by God for the benefit of others. Every one of them. Are you with me? The gift of salvation is for your benefit so you can be saved and have a relationship with God. Spiritual gifts are not given for your benefit according to the scripture. They are given for the benefit of those around you. Not you, them. Okay, for everybody. I mean, you're going to blend, you are going to be blessed and benefit, but it's given for the purpose of others and building them up for the salvation of others, for the benefit of others, for building up others. So anyway, so we look at the purpose of these uh, spiritual gifts. The purpose of God giving you a gift is so you use it. He doesn't, remember a couple of weeks ago, we preached a message called Something You Can Use. It's always going to be something you can use. God never gives his gifts just so you can say, I've got it. Boy, do I ever have it. Well, I wish you could get it. I got it. That's not it. It's always something to be used. And the ultimate purpose of everything is, of course, to what? Glorify God. And it is to be used. There are tools to be used to, once again, you're going to hear this over and over. I know. To be used by God to minister, to serve, and to help others. That's it. That's what he wants to do, to, to do this. The basic idea from last time, which was a few weeks ago, 
because we kind of took a break, uh, is this is the basic idea that we have here, that each believer, everyone who's saved, is a living part of Christ's body. Christ is the head. This is the illustration that Paul uses here. Christ is the head, and we're the body. When you're saved, you're connected to his body. You are connected to him. You're connected to one another, and each part has a function. I know you should know this, but do you follow me so far? Each one has a gift, a spiritual function to perform for God. This is the basic idea that Paul's working with here. And, uh, and we, in fact, when we were in Romans chapter 12, talking about something that you can use, we learned that it all starts out by doing what? By humbling ourselves. Remember he said not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. This is not about putting yourself above others. I'm more gifted than others. My gift is better than others or, or I'm more spiritual than others. It's all about humbling. It works in that context of guess what? What's our word? Submission. That we're submitting to God, humbling ourselves. We're submitting and humbling ourselves before each other, not trying to put ourselves above one another. Uh, So not thinking too highly of self precedes our being useful in the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts. They are skills and abilities that are used in serving God. Is that exciting? You are so gifted. You just maybe don't know it. They're given by him out of his grace, just kind of reviewing, and they are always to be regifted. Got it? They always, always, you might could even add this, it's implied, they always involve other people. Always. So the purpose is to build up God's people into the image of Christ, equip one another to serve him so that we can, in turn, serve more people and equip more people. And he always receives the glory. Someone said this, that a spiritual gift is actually this. It is Jesus himself pursuing his mission through the members of his church. How's that? Why didn't I put that up there? That would have been great. Um, It is Jesus himself pursuing his mission through the members of his church. That's what he's doing. Uh, Now, listen, you see that verse there? We talk about that a lot. If you're saved, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We've already studied how that you cannot be saved without him. In fact, it is the Spirit that does the work of regeneration in our heart, Paul said. And also, he said that if you have not the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. He's also said that if you're saved in verse 13 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, where we currently are, hopefully have our Bibles open to. He said, for as the body is what? Verse 12 says, the body is one, has many members, all members, uh, uh, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Listen to this. For by one spirit, by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, we were all, we were all. So if you're saved, you're part of the body of Christ. You have the spirit. By the spirit, we were all baptized into, what does he say? One body. One body. The body of Christ. We're all part of what? Not different bodies. We may go to different churches that have different names over the door. But let me tell you, if you're saved and they're saved, you're part of the same body of Christ. You are. And sometimes people need to get over themselves. You know, there are, and see, this is the thing. This is the weird thing. And I've said this before, but there may be people that go to another church. But if they are genuinely saved, then you realize you're going to be in heaven together forever. You're going to be worshiping God. You're going to be.
Okay. Hey, whoa. Well, I said remember where I was. Where was I? I'm sorry, I was muted. Now, I, I, was, I didn't do that, did I? I didn't, but I did mute it when I picked this up. I'll turn this off. Right here. I'm back. We're good. Isn't technology? Yeah, yeah, hi. I don't know why you're waving at me, Roger. I just said, here I am. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> where was I? Okay, you were listening. I was just, that was a test. This was all arranged just to see if you guys were staying with it. That somebody else, you know, if, if they're going to, if, listen, if we're going to be in heaven together and we're going to be serving God together forever, why aren't we serving God together here and encouraging and building each other up? See, the devil has snuck in and we have allowed him to do like the Corinthians had. We've allowed him to twist and messed up. See, he wants to pervert all the good things of God. And that's what happens. We allow him to take this thing and turn it upside down so that people in the body of Christ have been spending way too much of their time tearing each other down tearing each other down and gossiping about each other and instead of the one thing we're supposed to be doing is building each other up. There's an old English word for that that's in a lot of the translations. It's called edify. That we edify. That literally means build up. Um, you know, it's just like we call this a building. How come once it's done we call it a building instead of a built? I don't know. I don't know. But sometimes it's also called an edifice. That means a building. And I, I, I learned that when I was a kid because when I was about 10 years old, we moved out of the little country church across the road right there. The cemetery's taking it over. I hope there's no symbolic anything in that. But anyway, it was, the cemetery was next door. Now it's kind of spread. And cemeteries tend to do that, folks. They spread. That's another sermon, okay? Because we all got to be ready for that. Yeah, we're all going to stand before God. All right, that snuck in. But anyway, back to the message. Uh, when, when we were in that little building, we had electricity. We didn't have running water. No bathrooms, kids, no water fountain. You know, when I was your age, and I had to go to the restroom, I had to go all the way, you know, 50 yards behind the building to this little outhouse thing back there where this mean family of wasps live. No water fountain. Man, it was tough back then, wasn't it? But I remember when we built a new building. I was about 10 years old. It was all modern everything. It's a building my home church is still in and all that. And the pastor we had at that time, he was very confusing to me. He said a lot of things I never understood until I got a little older. But he kept talking about thanking God for the edifice. And I just, I just like... I don't know what it is, Lord, but thank you, right? But this, that's, I did all that to just say this. That's that same word, edify, build up. He was thanking God for the building, right? That's what we're to do is to build up each other. So if you're saved, uh, you're part of the body of Christ. You were placed there, baptized there, identified. like he immerses you into the body of Christ. For by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. We all partake of one spirit. Uh, so you've, this has happened if you're saved. However, the one thing we are commanded to do still yet is to be filled with the spirit. Uh, and that's what he says here. Do not be drunk with wine. Because when you're drunk with wine, you're like under the influence, right? 
And he says, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And by the word filled, he means to be controlled by the Spirit. And by the way, when he says be filled, it is in the original language. It is plural. He's saying all y'all. And it, it is an imperative. This is a command. And it is a command not that you do it. He does it. It's in the passive mood. But uh, it's just something that is a command to be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled. Just like when someone is filled with anger. Uh, somebody filled with sadness. They're controlled by anger or sadness. When you're filled with the Spirit, you're controlled by the Holy Spirit. This whole word of submission comes right back in here, that we submit our will to His will. Because you know that even after you're saved, that you still have a will. And you know that even though you're a new creature, that new creature lives in this old body of flesh that still has a fleshly nature attached to it. And that Paul talks about that struggle that happens between the flesh and the Spirit. How there's sometimes, you know, we don't end up doing what we know we ought to do. Type thing. So here's the thing. Every day, you're going to decide, am I going to be filled and controlled by the Spirit, or am I going to be controlled by myself and my flesh? And so that's why he says that we want to be under the influence of the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit. Uh, and that's what he commands us to do. So that's, guess what? Optional. You may be, you may not be. And it's not that it's a one-time thing. I mean, there are moments that happen that bump you way up in the, in the relationship with the Lord. But just because you've had some type of experience doesn't mean that you're always filled. It's a daily thing. In fact, it may be a moment-by-moment thing. Because there are some days I might start out controlled by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit, using the gifts that He gives to glorify God and minister to other people. But it may not in the day like that, okay? Just so you know. So you're saved, you're in the body of Christ, you are gifted. No one's excluded. Back to our key verse, verse 7, look at it. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. That means every single one, all of you. No one that is saved is excluded. The Holy Spirit manifests. It, he reveals His presence in your life. Now, let me just ask you. Now, let me, let me point something out. We're going to come back to Lord willing. Remember last week? Lord willing, right? Lord willing in a few weeks. Uh, gifts of the Spirit do not equal fruit of the Spirit. The real hard evidence of the Spirit of God in your life is fruit that He produces. Not just the tools that you use. They're involved with each other. Okay, um, so, um, yeah, just file that away, Lord help us. But the Holy Spirit will manifest, will reveal himself in us, through us, with gifts and with fruit, okay? Is there any evidence that anyone can see in my life of something greater than just me? Of the, of the Lord that glorifies God. So this is what he's going to do, and the purpose, of once again, of every gift is for the benefit of everyone. That's what he says. Look at verse 7 again. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all, for the benefit of everyone, to help everyone. That's why before he's done dealing with this issue, he goes on a little whole thing, uh, not a tangent. That would be a terrible thing to say. I mean, he goes on a little, uh, he goes on a, a, a teaching on love, right? He's talking about spiritual gifts. He goes on a teaching on love. Then he comes back to talk about 
uh, you know, tongues versus prophecy and edification versus not in chapter 14. Chapter 13, he spends the whole time. He didn't put that there just so we'd have something to read at weddings. You know, he did that because it's right here in the midst of ministering and spiritual gifts. And we need that. Probably need to do a whole focus on that coming up. So this is the purpose. Now, the practice of it is where we get into trouble. And the Corinthians had as well. They must be used according to the intent of the giver. They are gifts that he's given. They must be used according to the intention of the one God who gave them to us. The Corinthians had a huge problem with all of this. He's pointed out in chapter 3, if you read 1 Corinthians, in chapter 3 he pointed out that they weren't very spiritual. Here they were trying to be real spiritual and all these spiritual gifts, but he's already pointed out that they weren't spiritual. If you go back to chapter 3 and verse 1, you'll find out that he calls them carnal or fleshly. So there's real problems here. Their use or the practice, their practice even of the gifts were out of whack. What does that mean? I suppose it means that they're out of whack and you just want to, Paul just wants to come up. I'm making this part up. He just wants to come up and just whack, straighten up. So you whack and then they're in whack, not out of whack. Does that, I'm just wondering where that comes from. Okay, okay, never mind. But they're out of whack. And so he wants to straighten them out. Now, understanding the letters to the Corinthians means we've got to, as I said earlier, understand the context and what they're, they're written. Paul points out here that most all of them, mo- not all, but most all of them had come out of extreme paganism, right? They didn't grow up in Wright County, Missouri. Yeah? And, and their whole life was different than what your life is like. Uh, it was a culture filled with idolatry and pagan worship that involved all kinds of, of, I mean, things that most of us would think is plumb vulgar and gross. That's what they did at their church, or their worship of the idols, things, the temples. So, uh, but these Corinthians have been saved. He calls them brothers and sisters, right? They're saved. Is it possible to be saved and have problems? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, the old thing of, well, if you just get right with God, you know, you wouldn't be struggling with that. You, you, you know, we're always in the process of being right with God, right? Okay, but let me just tell you, you're in this world, you're in the flesh, there are going to be struggles. That's so you learn every day to live by faith and submit to his control instead of doing our own thing. Because there are always going to be struggles. They had struggles. And um, he's pointed out that they were interested in spiritual things, but they actually weren't very spiritual. If you look back in here, you know, we're in chapter 12, chapter 11. He points out in verse 17 something. He says that even when they come together, um, he says uh, that um, in, in verse 17 of chapter 11, and I give these instructions, I don't praise you. He says, I do not praise you. He says, since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. When you come together, we're all commanded to come together. But when you guys come together, it ain't good. Bad things are happening. It's not for the better. And it's supposed to be for the better, but it's for the worse. How many churches, I'm talking really fast here, but listen. How many churches is that could be said of that when you come together, you're supposed to come together. And it's supposed to be to do the work of the ministry, the work of the body, and to build one another up and glorify God. It's supposed to be for the better. But when you guys come together... It ain't for the better, it's for the worse. It's not for the better, it's for the worse. And that was a problem with them. They had, look at the verse 18, he says, there are divisions among you. He says, I hear this and I kind of believe it. 
You guys are all divided. There's not unity. The Holy Spirit brings unity. If what's happening is, is, is not, there's a problem somewhere. Okay? Somebody, somebody, somebody is not where they need to be. Then he talks about factions among you. And then and, and verse, verse 20 talks about even when you come together for the Lord's Supper, you guys are making a mockery out of it. And it's turning into a mess. They got all kinds of problems going on. Chapter 3, verse 1, he already pointed out, you guys are carnal, you're fleshly. So understand this, most of them came out of extreme paganism, which meant there were a lot... Stay with me, I'm losing you. There were a lot of things in their lives that needed to be changed and cleaned up. They had habits of ways that they always thought and things that they always did that needed to change. It's a big deal. Or thrown away. They probably need to throw a lot. They probably, stuff in, they probably had stuff in their houses that just need to be thrown away. Huh? You might too. There might be some stuff that needs to be thrown out. All right? Okay. I'm not thinking about Cubs memorabilia or anything like that, okay? Just so you know. I'm, I'm talking about real things, you know, that are bad. Okay, let's come back. On the opposite end, there were probably some in that congregation that grew up Hebrews or Jewish. They grew up totally different from the rest of them, didn't they? They grew up knowing the scriptures and living a very strict lives. There were even foods that they wouldn't eat and so forth and so on. Are you following me? And now for them coming together, you know, they might tend to be a little legalistic. Meanwhile, these guys are a little bit got stuff going on that ain't right. And you try to put this together and make a family that we're all one in Christ. We think it's tough for us. You know, and it's tough living in a small town where we know all kinds of stuff and about each other and all kinds of stuff that's just been rumored about each other. And somebody gets saved and their life turns around. Uh, it's not, a, you know, I've said this before. I want to say it again. Like in the big cities, you know, and stuff, somebody, you know, that maybe has had a really bad life, they get saved and everybody talks about, boy, look at the change. We're just, oh, hallelujah, thank God. But see, now here a lot of times when that happens, it's going to be somebody that, you know, hey, I used to be an addict and a thief. And, and you're sitting here and you're like, praise God. But wait a minute, wait a minute. They stole from me. So I'm going to praise God. But now it means I got to forgive them. It's a little tougher, isn't it? It's a little more personal. It's a little bit more up in your face. And that's where it gets difficult. Because, you know, hey, let's just face it. In years past, we've been great, you know, about feeding the hungry around the world, and we should, and even doing mission trips to Kansas City or Nashville or somewhere like that to work in, 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 in places that take care of poor people and all that. But, but it's a little different when we want to feed or take care of poor people here because we know them and we know about their sorry lives. Right? It's the same thing, it's just easier if we don't know them. Because when we do, we have to love, we have to forgive. Just getting real, okay? It's tough. We can admit that. But this is what God calls us to. He wants us to do. So, you know what? Their dynamics weren't terribly different from ours, except most of us are the ones that grew up in church and were not only exposed to the Bible, but, air quotes again, can I use them? Church things. Church stuff, not necessarily biblical, but church stuff, okay? Um, we grew up exposed to that. However, there are some of you, all this is brand new. This is all new. You don't even know what half the words that were said when you first came here, repentance, salvation, all that meant. You know, and I love 
when we have Sundays and I'm asking you to turn to 1 Corinthians and I've got a handful of you going through the table of contents to find where it is. I love that because you're exploring, you're discovering, this is new, this is exciting. Instead of some of the ones like, oh, there again. And you've already written in your Bible back in 1996 when I preached on this same passage, probably the same notes. You'll remind me going out. Yeah, I say, you know, you wrote it in there. And I'm just like, 1996? My question is, why ain't you wore that Bible out yet and got a new one? I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, after, back to the sermon again, after tackling several major problems in their fellowship, Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, literally, now concerning, and, and in the original language, it's spirituals. The word gifts is supplied there because we know that's what he's talking about because he says it later. Now concerning, concerning spirituals, being spiritual. Brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. Um, Paul suggests that to suggest I don't want you to be ignorant means that they, why would you suggest that unless there was a lot of ignorance? Okay? Uh, so this was a church that put incredible emphasis on spiritual gifts, but they were very unbalanced in it. Are you following? And they were unbalanced, as we've seen in a lot of other things, like fellowship meals, the Lord's Supper, church order, and discipline. They were unbalanced in a lot of stuff that if you go through First Corinthians, you'll see that. The whole thrust of this passage is about how the gifts are all from the same spirit, right? Various gifts all come from the same spirit. There's just one agenda. They're all different And there's even different hues of different gifts, as we'll see maybe later on. But, uh, I mean, by later on, not later today. So, you you know, you can relax. It'll be later on in time, another Sunday. But they're all one spirit. In other words, I'm not doing my thing and you're not doing your thing. It's all his thing. For his glory. And they're from the same spirit and they're for the benefit of the whole body. Now, that starts with our local body of believers. Did you know in the New Testament you never find anyone who gets saved and then they follow the Lord in baptism, but what they connect with a local assembly of believers, a local church, a local, the Greek word is ekklesia. I like the way I said that. I even put that ekklesia in there. I'm not sure if they do that, but I think they should. That literally means the called out. We're called out of this world to be a local body. And Paul starts using the term that way, the church, the gathering. Never refers to a building, it refers to people. And the gathering, the gathering of people. There's the local church, and then there's the universal church. That is all of those who are saved. Right? So, so you need to be part of a local gathering. And he said not to forsake the gathering of yourselves together. And listen, it's a lot different now than it was then. We somehow think that there was some church in Corinth, and you'd go find the first church. Whoever started that first? We're first. I, 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 I don't know. Someday we need to fix that because, you know, we're, you know. <laughs> we've even got, you know, sometimes instead of first, it means number one. We've actually got a church in our association. Number one is the name. Well, it was like the number one, the first. I don't know. But anyway, uh, but there wasn't a first church of Corinth, okay, is what I'm saying. They had a big building, you know, with a, you know, a big cross and all that. Uh, they didn't have that. You won't find anything like that where huge amounts could gather until you get on past like the 4th century, okay, that probably they were meeting wherever they could in small places and groups, and there were pastors trained to take care of each group, and they were all connected together, but yet there were small groups that met, and small groups and ministry is something that we're going to be really tackling in the, in, in the coming 
coming year. Um, but it's, and, and probably they had to do it a lot like uh, our churches do in some other lands like Cuba. Um, that um, in Cuba, that, that we aren't allowed to have churches. All right, you follow me? You don't, I'm not allowed to have churches. Um, so you can't like go there and start a church. But what happens is, is a guy that's a pastor, the others try to help him get a house that has a big garage. So they live there. It's like a parsonage and they have church in the garage. It's a house church in a way because the government doesn't allow any more churches to, unless you're registered with them. So it's a church, but it, they do it differently. That's probably a lot how they did it in Corinth, as you have probably several different groups meeting in smaller groups, uh, but they're all bound together. And so my point is God wants you connected to a local group of believers and that is connected to, to larger. And they were. Our spiritual gifts. Where am I? Here I am. The practice. They are not to be used to make you look more spiritual. And, you know, this is a thing. This is a problem because uh, we can use them selfishly. Sometimes they do coincide with natural talents God has given us. Not to make you look more spiritual. See, they, they were kind of enamored by flashy gifts. Because you know what I'm saying? There are some gifts that like, like uh, gifts like, uh, of, like of authority, of pastoring or apostleship or, or prophecy uh, or teaching or miracles, ooh, you know, or, or even speaking in tongues and different things like that that were flashy. That's what they were interest, interested in. And you can tell that they kind of gravitated toward that. But the thing about it is, is that all of these are equal. And, and he's already told us in chapter 12 that are all apostles, verse 29, are all prophets, are all teachers. If everybody's a teacher, then who are you going to teach? If everybody's an apostle, then who are they going to go to? right you see what i'm saying so the obvious answer is no it's a rhetorical question the answer is no to every one of those are all apostles no are all supposed to be prophets no Uh, are all teachers no are all workers of miracles no do all have gifts of healing no do all speak with tongues no do all interpret no but he says but earnestly desire the best gifts i'm going to show you a more excellent way and that's when he starts talking about love so nobody has all the gifts but sometimes they have a tendency like us is we want ours to just be i'm just more special Right? And you know, pride can sneak in the back door. Is this a battle when God really uses you and you know you're being used by God and you feel the power of God? We, we, it can, the devil sneaks right back in. I remember one time, you know, I really felt like, boy, you know, and along the gifts that I have of, of, of teaching prophecy, that it would fall under those categories. And one time after preaching, you know, different people, man, boy. Wow. Thank you. Oh. Wasn't so good. Oh. Driving home, I'm saying like, wow, Clarissa, Lord really used me today. How many truly great preachers do you think that there are in the world at this time? And, of course, she just says, probably one less than you think that there is. You see what I'm saying? You get to think, and, and, I, and I struggle with that. And you'll struggle with that whole thing, you know, about, you know, pride sneaks right in the back door there. All of these are to be used in an atmosphere of love. That's why chapter 13 is there. They always build up the body. And, and to be honest, be honest, that's why he specifically targets tongues in chapter 14, because in verse 4, he, he just comes right out and says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies who? Are, are you, you're, you're, not, you're not looking, okay? Chapter 14, verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies or builds up who? Himself. Himself. 
And he says, but he who prophesies, and that's to speak forth the word of God, and there are many avenues of that, he edifies or builds up who? The church. That's why he said uh, that, um, that I want you to excel. He says in verse 12, since he, and, and, and he says, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the building up or the edification of the church that you seek to excel. If you're zealous, desire the things that are going to build up the whole body. And, that's, that's, and, and we'll come back to it, and it'll be a lot of fun. But that's one reason why he deals with that in chapter 14. They always build up the body. And so um, he implies that many of them were trying to employ spiritual gifts specifically in uh, spiritual things and gifts in an uninformed and in a wrong way. He reminds them, and I read it in chapter 12, that they, had, they, were, they, were, they grew up as heathens, right? He says that, you know, you were Gentiles or heathens, pagans carried away to dumb idols. He, he reminds them of that, um, and they were involved in all kinds of false stuff. He says, so I want to make... He feels, and for some reason, verse 3 is important. He says, he feels, he feels compelled because of things he knew about them to let them know that no one... Because there may be people claiming to speak for God. Times were a little different before you had the New Testament in print. And the apostles and Paul is one that God used to write down a good part of it. And there were many of the Corinthians wanting to compete with Paul and say they were more spiritual than Paul and stuff like that. And he deals with that in these in First and Second Corinthians. But... Um, he says, no one speaking by the Spirit will say anything bad about Jesus. It could be that some were trying to say things that weren't right about doctrine and teaching about Jesus Christ. And you can't say, like, Christ is a curse. If that's happening, it's not the Holy Spirit. But he says, likewise, you can't truly say Jesus is Lord and mean it unless the Holy Spirit helps you say that. Because when you say Jesus is Lord, you're proclaiming him Lord over your life. You can't do that without the Holy Spirit doing a work of regeneration and salvation in your life. So there's a lot there that we could talk about. But then look at verse 4. We're kind of coming right back to our text where we can finish up with. He says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of... Do you notice the Trinity there? We've been talking about all through the Bible, you see the oneness, yet the threeness of our God. You see it right here. There are diversities of gifts... But there's the same Holy Spirit. So he's doing the same thing, not different thing. All right, then he says, There are differences of ministries that serve us, but the same Lord. Lord, word he uses for Jesus. And there are diversity of activities. There's all kinds of different activities going on. But it's the same theos, God, who works all of it. You have the Spirit, you have the Son, you have the Father. All right there. There are different gifts. There are different services or or ministries. There are different activities. But one Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, And the thing about it is, is you may be involved in an activity, and someone else over here is doing a different activity, but that's not an activity for God, and it is to build up others, and it's to glorify God. It's not something that you're really that interested in, so you want to criticize that activity. I don't know why we're doing that, right? Because it's not your thing. There are different activities. Right? Oh, I could give some examples here, but I've been here too many years, folks. I, 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 oh, yeah, it would, it would hit too far, too close to home. Too far, I mean, too close to home. Of how often that happens. Different ministries, and some people are like, well, I don't think that's important. What I'm doing, that's what's important. There are different ministries. Same Lord. It's all His, right? We're not all supposed to be doing the same thing. 
And there's some things that God's going to use other people to do you may not fully understand because he hasn't called you to do it. Anyway, these gifts just keep on giving because that's what the serving and that's what the purpose of the gift and the serving and the activities are all about. But there's still a problem in the church today, I'd say, with misunderstanding, misuse, counterfeiting, doing things for our own selfish reasons. Listen, Jesus, i got to wrap this up. Jesus personally set the example, didn't he? Did he not? He personally set the example because he didn't come into this world flaunting his own godness, did he? He came as a servant. A serpent. Servant, excuse me. That almost sounds like serpent. You don't want to say that. Servant. He came. Philippians chapter 2, right? He humbled himself. He lowered himself. Took upon the form of a servant. Um, he didn't rely on his own will, he came to do what? The Father's will. He didn't rely upon his own power as God, but guess what he did? Relied on the Holy Spirit. He came while he's in the flesh, totally a servant. That's why he says this. Boom. There it is again. Remember this? All right. Take a deep breath, everybody. Do we need to stand? You didn't even hear me. Okay. Okay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Jesus said in John 14, 22, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. What? The things Jesus was doing, you're going to do. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. That I go to my Father is Jesus' code language we find out for I'm ascending back to the Father, and when I do that, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to not just be with you, he's going to be in you. Okay? Think about this. The works that he does... Now, there are different ways that he does this now. He's still a miracle-working God, amen? Amen. amen. But, but, but see, you remember one day when Jesus was out there, and there was all these hungry people, and he takes just a few things, and he feeds thousands, right? Jesus, when he was here, limited himself physically to be one place at one time. That was awesome that he did that. There was times I tried to feed my family out of a few things, and, it, and we ran out. Lord, remember what you did. There's been a few times it seemed like the Lord just kind of, you know. I remember one time I was driving to Springfield, in the, and I happened to look down, and all of a sudden the, the gauge is like on empty. And I'm like, oh, no. And the problem was I wasn't driving my vehicle. I was driving that, that, that Cavalier car, whatever it was. What was that? Uh, it's a, a, a Cavalier. Was it, huh? Chevrolet Cavalier, yeah, and, and, and Caleb had come over from college, and I was driving it, and, um, and I'm like, oh, boy, they always leave them with the gas tank empty. Can I get a witness? Any of you guys who got kids with cars, they always bring them home from college with the gas tank empty. I mean, the, the empty light is on, okay? Uh, anyway, uh, I'm thinking, oh, boy, Lord, help me to make it. I literally pray this, Lord, help me to make it till I get to Springfield so I don't run out of gas. I, somebody, one of y'all was having surgery, actually. Somebody probably in this room having surgery. I wanted to get there to have prayer with you before surgery, Lord, and just please don't let me run out of gas. Help me get there in time. And you know what? I had no sooner finished praying that, and I lit, I'm not kidding you. I saw, you're not going to believe this. I'm not being crazy. Uh, Caleb believes me. I saw the gas gauge go from down at E all the way up to a quarter of a tank. Between quarter and I watched it move. And I, yeah, yeah, I'm not done with the story yet, though. 
I get there, and I'm praying everything, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to get gas now. But I had to tell Caleb, hey, man, I've got, God did something amazing or something weird's going on. I told him about it, and he just laughed. He says, oh, I forgot to tell you, that gas gauge is messed up. And when it truly gets empty, it goes to between a quarter and a half. So you don't have any gas, Dad. The Lord just gave you confidence to get to the hospital. I went down the street to the first gas station and filled it up. And I think, you know, it held like uh, 12 gallons or so. And I put like 11.9 in it, okay? So there, God did kind of work a miracle there. But, uh, you know, not quite the way I thought. But think about Jesus feeding the thousands, feeding all, doing all these great things. But you know, he still does that today. When he was here, he limited himself to be in one place at one time. But now he has millions of people that he is living in. And we can be in every corner of the globe feeding not thousands but untold millions at the same time because of the abilities, the gifts, and the resources he's given us that we're feeding the multitudes and working miracle in greater way, right? As he was teaching the multitudes, now we're in every nook and cranny of the planet in every language and dialect that we can get to telling the good news, greater things. And it's because of his spirit in us and the gifts and abilities to serve him that he gives us. All right, I've got so much more to say, but I'm not going to get it said. Here's the thing. Spiritual gifts, once again, given to glorify Christ in this world and serve those around us, lead sinners to salvation, build up fellow believers, whatever your gift is. If what you're doing is not accomplishing at least one of those things, it's not a gift. It's something else. Okay? Last thing. No applause? It's okay. To every single one, there's always one. (laughs) Everyone has one. Verse 7, right? Is given to all. Each one is given to each one the manifestation of the Spirit. And they're given, why? For the common good of the whole body, for the benefit of all. Your gift is not primarily given for your benefit. It does bless you, but it's not primarily for you. It's for others. And if you're not using it and ministering to others, then something's wrong. Uh, One of the the problems the Corinthians had was they thought their spiritual gifts made them more spiritual, more powerful, and better Christians than other Christians. They were proud and boasted in them, you know, like I'm super X-Men Jesus powers, right? That's not what he's talking about. It's all in humility. Paul tells them that this only shows you're, you're immature. Like I said, pride can sneak back in. None of us has all the gifts, right? That's why he said not all are apostles, not all are prophets, not all are this. That's part of the reason why we all, get this, need each other. Amen? All right, buckle your seatbelt, put your chair in upright position, and prepare for landing. We're going to set this thing down. Okay? Just want you to know that. This is not a false alarm. Every part of the body is dependent on each other. He goes through this whole thing about how just because an eye is an eye doesn't tell the ear, I don't need you, right? Every part is important, right? If you don't believe that, just ask Philip's thumb, right? (laughs) I'm sorry, Philip. You reminded me of it. I had to do it. Yeah. Ouch. Ouch. When part of the body is 
not there, ouch, it's not so good. I was talking about, I used an illustration several weeks back about a thumb. You know, my thumb is so useful and everything, but if, what if it wasn't attached to my hand and all that? And Philip comes up like, dude, <laughs> I forgot about his accident. But it's okay, we laughed, didn't we? You are laughing, aren't you? See, look, look, look. Isn't he got a beautiful smile? Amen. Yeah, yeah, amen. That's good. We love that. Um, so every part is, is dependent on each other. You know, it's like my elbow needs my hands, which, by the way, you ever try to lick your elbow? Huh? Yeah, I, I, I don't think anybody can do it. But, um, but you know, to, to, to clean or moisten or, or put lotion on my elbow, I, I need my hands. What I'm saying is Paul's using this kind of illustration is all of the body is not more important than any other part. And, and in fact, even the, the less honorable parts of our body, we give the most honor to because we keep them covered. Right? So what that's saying is, is every part is equally important. So here's the thing. Therefore, to experience all the power of Jesus, and we're going to go into details later on, but to experience all the power of Jesus, this means this. Since all of us are, are to be gifted and fill the Spirit and using the gifts to His glory and to benefit others, to experience all the power of Jesus, you must be connected to other believers. You must. It is not optional. It makes no sense to ask God to use you or work in your life if you're not intimately connected to a local church. It ain't going to happen because you cut yourself off from the body. we got people out there. I can be just as good a Christian here at home. No, you can't. Attending services doesn't make you saved, but how are you going to use your spiritual gifts? And since you don't have it all, there's things God wants to do in your life that he's purposed to do through other people, through the gifts that he gives them and the way that he works through them. And so a lot of what God wants to do in your life is not going to happen because you cut yourself off. So to experience all the power of Jesus, you have to be connected to other believers. Remember this. The spiritual gift is Jesus pursuing his mission through the members of his church. And I want to tell you, folks, real church only happens. People might come out and say, Boy, we really had church today. What does that mean? Huh? A lot of times that just means the preacher was on today and he maybe got loud and said things I like to hear. Or it might mean the music was good. But God says you don't even have real church. I mean, you, what, two or three people using their gifts? Huh? No, that's not real church. Real church only happens as everybody is contributing. The things we see, the things we don't see. When everybody is contributing and everybody is using the gift and regifting it for the benefit of others, we all get ministered to, we all get built up, and I need what God wants to do through you. All right? Let's pray.